Hello and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny, and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at SSI. It's Thursday, November 16th, 2023, and today I'm joined by my SSI colleague, Dr. Ron Garantz. Ron is a research professor of national security affairs, and his areas of specialization include crisis decision-making, deterrence, and air and space power. He's about to publish an article in the journal Ether on terrestrial responses to attacks in the space domain. Now, the space domain has become increasingly important in so-called multi-domain operations. For example, satellites power communication, surveillance, and navigation systems, amplifying strategic capabilities across the other warfighting domains of land, air, sea, and cyber. Real-time intelligence from space assets is paramount for informed decision-making, while precision-guided weaponry often relies on space-based navigation for accuracy. We're seeing these and other examples play out right now in Russia's brutal war against Ukraine. As states like Russia leverage their space assets, the importance of defending those assets has grown dramatically, making Ron's forthcoming article more timely than ever. So, Dr. Ron Garantz, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Ron, let's start with uh, the the problem that you're tackling in this article. Tell us a little bit about the background and about the, the challenge of uh, defending against or responding to or deterring satellites, attacks on satellites. Yeah, so the problem this paper addresses is how to respond to attacks on satellites. So I think you gave a great summary at the beginning of why this has become such uh, an important topic. Um, and the U.S. is worried about attacks on satellites because it has observed other countries developing anti-satellite weapons. Russia and China have both tested missiles that can destroy satellites. The United States and India have, have done so also. But Russia and China have also shown that they have on-orbit systems that could be used as weapons. So Russia fired a projectile from a satellite in what the United States characterized as a weapons test. China showed that it has a satellite that can grapple and move other satellites. This has several uses, but it could be used as a weapon. The United States is also developing satellites that uh, can do the same thing uh, for repairs or um, to remove debris. And there are less destructive attacks, uh, hacking, jamming signals, blinding with lasers. All of these could also impact the operations of satellites. Now, I wanted to make uh, clear that this is kind of a helpful distinction here, which is that there's two categories of attacks, I, I would say, uh, against satellites. One is a full-scale war. You know, attacks on satellites as part of a large military offensive, in which case you, you are at war um, across domains. On the other hand, there's the possibility of more limited attacks, which I think is actually the more likely danger. So if you think about the current Russia-Ukraine war, for example, American and European satellites are helping Ukraine against Russia. And it wouldn't be such a surprise to see a sort of limited Russian attack 
on a satellite uh, in order to interrupt the satellite support to the Ukrainians or to send a message to the United States or European countries uh, that Russia is not happy with our support. And in fact, there has been some instances of hacking and jamming of signals. So this notion of the limited attack, I think, is an important one that we have to uh, really think about. So when satellites are attacked, you can try to defend them, but it's very difficult. Satellites are pretty vulnerable. They move in predictable orbits. They're fragile. Uh, they're a little bit maneuverable, but not, not very. So in a lot of ways, you are relying on deterrence. The threat to retaliate if a satellite is attacked. And actually, even if satellites were easier to defend, you would still probably want to have a response ready. You know, usually there's some punishment or retaliation uh, when when um, a country is attacked. So that's the issue that I'm trying to get at in this paper, which is what do we do if the, the day comes where uh, one of our satellites is attacked? You know, Ron, you mentioned satellites with the potential to grapple things. Uh, I'm having flashbacks to my uh, brief high school career as a wrestler and uh, thinking about satellites grabbing other satellites is almost like robotics in space. But just to clarify for our audience and get everybody on the same page with the terminology, you mentioned this phrase of on-orbit capabilities. Now, that means uh, in the space domain itself, right, from one space-based asset to another space-based asset. That's Is that correct? That, that's exactly right. And I think you've said it perfectly. This is satellites uh, attacking other satellites. So okay. this is a satellite that can uh, perhaps fire a projectile, or this is a satellite that has a grappling arm and can grab another satellite and move it into another orbit. And the alternative, or I should say the the uh, what the, the other option, uh, if we're talking about a kinetic attack, is to launch something from the Earth up to a satellite, correct? And what's the phrase that is typically used for, to describe that? That's right. So those are called direct ascent ASATs or direct ascent anti-satellite weapons. And you're right. So you can launch a missile from the ground. Um, they've also been tested from airplanes or from sea. So you can launch this, these missiles from uh, any platform, but they, they're all coming from the Earth, from the terrestrial environment. Okay. The same applies if you are trying to jam signals. Terrestrial base jammers can be directed at a satellite or they can be directed at the receiver on the ground. Okay, truly multi-domain. So it's truly multi-domain and you have reversible attacks, which is, for example, jamming is reversible. You turn on the jammer, you can interrupt a signal. You turn it off, the signal is restored. Or you can have the irreversible and destructive attacks like with a missile. So there's many ways to interrupt, interfere with, disrupt, or destroy um, the satellite, the link between the satellite and the ground-based receiver, and even ground-based control stations um, or other infrastructure to the satellite. So there's really a lot of uh, target surfaces. All right, Ron, thank you for sort of helping to establish the background here for some of our audience members. Let me now ask you a question about our response to an attack. I would think that it would be logical if an American satellite is attacked by some country that we would seek to attack the satellites of that country. Is that sort of a typical response? Is that the expected response? I think you're right that that is the expected response. I think that is the default uh, that a lot of people's minds go to. And people who've written about this generally start there. They, they have the same reaction you did, which is, well, if an enemy attacks one of our satellites, our response should be to attack one of their satellites. It's tit for tat. And that could work. That that 
could deter an attack on a satellite. But there are several reasons why you might not want to respond in space. If an adversary doesn't value its satellites as much as we value ours, then responding in space might not have much of a deterrent effect. It would already be priced in. The adversary says, I know I'm going to lose one of my satellites, and that's a price I'm willing to pay to destroy an American satellite. And the United States relies on satellites more than most other countries. So, so that would be a reasonable calculation by the adversary. Uh, destructive attacks in space can create debris that stays in orbit. The debris doesn't just fall back to the Earth. It continues in orbit, often on trajectories where it's out of control, and it can endanger other satellites. And like I said, satellites are very fragile. They move at very high speeds. Even very small pieces of debris can knock out a satellite. And there's a worry, actually, about a chain reaction. Once there's enough debris in orbit, it can start hitting satellites. Those satellites break up, and more debris hits more satellites and so forth. So there's a great fear about keeping the space domain usable and limiting the creation of long-lived debris. You may simply not want to normalize attacks in space. You may want to send a message that even if you attack us in space, we're not going to do the same. We still want to maintain space as a relatively peaceful and safe operating domain. Other reasons might be if the adversary doesn't have good space surveillance, they might not know if your attack is a kind of small retaliation, a tit for tat or a full scale war. And frankly, you may not have the right weapons just ready to go. So there's a lot of reasons why even if you are attacked in space, you might want an alternative to a response in space. Declared US policy is actually that if one of our satellites is attacked, we will respond quote, at a time, place, manner, and domain of our choosing. So this has been acknowledged in US policy that an attack in space doesn't necessarily mean a response in space. So then the question becomes, what other responses can you use? And people have really been struggling with this question because the ideas that people come up with intuitively don't really seem to work. They simply don't seem appropriate. You know, attacking somebody's territory after they attack a satellite, causing casualties after an enemy attacks a robotic, as you said, a, a robot in space, seems like overreaction, disproportionate, inappropriate. And we have an intuition that uh, not all military targets would be appropriate responses. If it's not space related, why would you attack a ship or a tank or something like that or a military base after a satellite is attacked? So this is the problem of what we call cross-domain deterrence. How do you deter something in one domain with, with a response in another domain? And this is where I try to step in with my paper. Well, do we have historical examples of this? What, what does history tell us about whether this is even possible? There are many examples of cross-domain deterrence. So if you think of the United States uh, launching airstrikes in response to a terrorist attack, this you, you can think of as cross-domain deterrence. We're using an effect that at least begins in one domain to respond to a, a different type of attack. But what you find when you look into the historical examples is that the responses that countries choose and that the United States chooses are usually pretty carefully chosen to have some relationship to the initial provocation. So it could be identical, like with the satellite example. You know, one satellite gets attacked and you respond with another satellite. Uh, you see this, for, for instance, in a non-military example, when one country ejects another country's diplomats in response to their own diplomats being ejected. It's a tit for tat. It's an identical response. 
Um, uh, another example is recently uh, South Korea has adopted a strategy like this in response to North Korean provocations. North Korea fires a missile into an ocean, into the ocean. South Korea fires a missile into the ocean or, or multiple missiles, actually. So the response resembles the provocation. Other times they're not exactly identical, but the target is chosen very specifically. So the United States, for example, launched an airstrike at Iraq's intelligence headquarters after it learned about an alleged assassination attempt against President Bush. Because the intelligence uh, headquarters, you know, was the headquarters of the agency that committed the uh, attempted attack. Uh, the United States attacked an Iraqi nuclear site after Iraq had denied weapons inspectors access. So in these cases, the target is chosen to be, quote unquote, appropriate. Well, let me ask you then, is this more, is this somehow a more difficult or inherently difficult given the space domain to find targets? I mean, you You've painted a picture uh, quite clearly um, earlier in our conversation about the, you know, the importance of maintaining the utility of the space domain for our own efforts, right? And so that we can avoid this kind of chain reaction scenario you you uh, laid out for us. So does does that mean that the the space domain it's inherently more difficult somehow to find related or connected uh, targets if we are attacked in that domain? So I think with the space domain, it's necessary, right? The point of this paper is to argue that it is necessary. I think the difficulty is not necessarily related to the something inherent to the space domain. The difficulty is just in finding, identifying an object that you can target that other people will interpret as somehow related to the space domain, that other people will see as appropriate. So it's something that really happens in people's minds. It's it's almost a symbolic decision that you have to make about what target you're going to hit. So the argument I make is that responses are chosen to, quote, send a message. Right? The point of these attacks is not just to do damage or to weaken an enemy, but to send a message. And you hear this all the time about military actions, that the type of attack you choose sends the message to the adversary that you are responding to a specific provocation, that you're trying to punish them for the specific provocation, that you're not trying to escalate the situation, but you want to, again, send them a message about what you're doing. Um, this is something I'm not sure military planners think about all the time, but political leaders often want these military options that send a clear message. So the challenge here is to find is to identify some sort of response that sends that message to the adversary that we are responding to their attack in the space domain and that we're punishing their attack in the space domain, even though our attack might be on Earth. So let me ask you more about that, about the issue of symbolism. I mean, clearly, as you've said, it, this is this is more than simply a kinetic attack to reduce the capability a physical capability of an adversary, right? There is a a message, as you said, it's a symbolic message, and that's important for deterrence, right? Are there other? Is is that it? Is that the reason why we want to make sure that the that the symbolism is uh, is accurate, or that the message is calibrated in just the right way? That's exactly right. It, it's important for deterrence because you're really trying to convey a a good bit of information to the adversary. You are trying to convey that your response is non-escalatory, so perhaps proportional, but perhaps disproportional, but you're still trying to avoid escalating to a major war. 
you're trying to let them know that your response is related to the provocation that they committed, that you are trying to punish them for that provocation, but that you would like to return to a situation where you're not fighting each other or you're not shooting at each other. And I think all of those things are, are necessary in order to establish deterrence. You have to let them know that your action is conditional, that your action is um, playing by a certain set of rules that you would like to establish or, or through your response actually reestablish those rules. But you're exactly right that the symbolism is meant to carry that message to the adversary and that that's necessary to establish deterrence. Now, deterrence, or I should say the perception that we're talking about is really in the eye of the beholder, right? So beyond rhetoric, you know, a, a Defense Department spokesman saying, you know, this was a calibrated response to this event that occurred in space. How do you actually do that? How, how do American uh, officials sort of calibrate this in the right way, achieve this symbolism across domains uh, in the way that you're talking about? Yeah, so first I'd like to speak to that issue of rhetoric. You're absolutely right that alongside the retaliation, you can have your defense official explain what the purpose of the attack was. But what I find is that those things have to match. The attack and explanation has to match. If you launch a massive retaliation against all sorts of unrelated targets, and then the defense official comes uh, before the microphone and says, this was a limited attack and our intent was not to escalate and so forth, you are going to be dismissed. So the attack itself has to be consistent with the message that you're sending verbally. And the argument I make is that to do that, you have to identify some sort of target or some sort of response that is seen as related to space that it, or that is related to satellites that is still contained within certain boundaries that, like you said, the adversary can see and understand. The point that I try to make is that you have to try to find something related to satellites that send that message. Some people have suggested, for example, attacks against space-related ground stations, that an adversary would understand why you're doing that. After they commit an attack in space, if you attack a space-related ground station, they're gonna get the message that your, your attack was a response to the, the attack in space. Now that could work, uh, though it has some of the same problems I mentioned above, that the adversary may not really care about uh, an attack against its ground stations. Now, when I say an attack is, has to be related, that can really mean a lot of things. And as you said, it's in the eye of the beholder. There's no fixed way to make something symbolic. It's all about whether other people will understand it as related. Nevertheless, it has to be understandable to the other side. Uh, for example, there are a couple authors who suggested strikes against military platforms that do the same things as satellites. For example, intelligence, communications. Uh, but they had to explain this uh, quite extensively in their papers. And the very fact that they have to explain it suggests that it's not immediately intuitive, that it could be misinterpreted by an adversary and that it may not be the best choice. So what my study shows is that there aren't really many good choices that are obviously related to satellites, except to strike things that are space related. If you strike something space related, we can, I think, be pretty confident that the adversary will understand the reason for the strike. So the alternative is really to define a new relationship between satellites and some terrestrial object. Now, here's where it gets tricky. 
I argue that it is possible to convince other people that satellites and some other object are naturally related so that it makes sense to retaliate against that object. I use the example of the term weapons of mass destruction to illustrate this point. Everyone knows that what weapons of mass destruction are, that it encompasses nuclear weapons, biological weapons, and chemical weapons. But these are actually three very different types of weapons that don't always actually produce mass destruction. Nevertheless, because this term is popularized in people's mind, these types of weapons have been categorized as similar and people associate them with each other. So for example, the United States can, as it did in 1991, threaten, quote, the strongest possible response to Iraqi chemicals weapons use, which people interpreted as a nuclear threat. So the argument I make is that the United States needs to work on associating satellites with something that is currently not associated with satellites, but that a reasonable argument could be made that these two things are in similar categories. For example, the United States could say, we make no distinction between attacks on satellites and attacks on any communications infrastructure. Or we consider satellites to be critical na national infrastructure, no different than electrical grids and highways. Or we consider satellites as part of our larger inventory of aerospace assets. So you wanna convince the other side that if you strike something that in that category, that it makes sense and that they will associate satellites with something that's struck in that category. Now, there's no guarantee that this works. You really have to think about how other people perceive things. You have to perceive it that way also. You need to essentially redefine for the world what a satellite is and how people think about it. Now, I understand this is a pretty weird suggestion as far as national security policies go. Open up the dictionary and start redefining words or sorry, recategorizing satellites. I understand that. But my argument is that this is how symbolism works. This is really the same thing as when we retaliate uh, against an enemy ship because they attacked our ship, or we retaliate against an enemy agency because that agency committed some action that, that we disagree with. Those relationships really exist in people's minds and how they define and categorize things. And if we want to respond terrestrially against attacks on satellites, the terrestrial target has to make sense. Ron, this is really fascinating. Uh, it's a really uh, a very interesting argument you make. I think it has uh, really practical applications for how and where uh, the U.S. Uh, responds to these sorts of things. So we, we know this is going to happen, right? This is probably inevitable. And so thinking through how we go about the response is is critical, especially if we hope to contain whatever crisis it is and not to escalate. So I commend uh, the article forthcoming in the journal Ether uh, by Dr. Ron Garantz, research professor here at SSI. Thanks for joining me today, Ron. Great. Thanks for having me. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.